0: Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We are... Uh, we don't know what's happening in the country right now. You know, we, we kind of... We had the COVID thing, and we had this horrific crisis, and then we we were kind of, you know, moving into a new phase, and now we're back in, in a horrific crisis in a lot of parts of the country, and it's, it's, it's certainly important to understand that even with the spiraling case counts, the mortality numbers, thank God, are not remotely like what you saw in the New York City area, what is it, three, four months ago now, but they are rising, and uh, we have collectively as a country... Uh, individually as parents and students, but sort of collectively as a country, just because so much is involved in it, um, this sort of hard deadline coming up. Schools come back into session in, you know, more or less end of, end of August, beginning of September, something like that. And in this case, I'm not talking about colleges and universities, which is a whole other issue. I'm talking about kids, kids and schools. Uh, minor children who go to schools. And uh, the president of the United States went on Twitter this morning and basically said, yeah, CDC says this, but I disagree and uh, everybody's got to go back to school.
1: Yep, and if not, we'll slash funding or we'll cut funding,
0: basically. Yeah, and, and it, it's 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 such a funny thing because we were just talking about this uh, before we started recording this morning and I am the only parent uh, who's who's one of the three hosts of this podcast. Um, and as probably some listeners know, some of whom remember when uh, these kids were born, uh, I have 11-year-old and 13-year-old sons. And as with many parents around the country, there is a tremendous push and pull. I think we're all aware that remote schooling was m- marginal at best. It's just not <laughs> you know, in theory, if you if you spent years planning how you would do remote education schooling, you might be able to kind of get it you know who knows what what would be possible. There's all sorts of questions, a lot of developmental questions and socialization questions. But certainly just like kind of firing up the zoom call and do and, and switching to it you know on a dime did not work terribly well and uh there's there's obvious impacts on kids education there's impacts on their socialization and as parents it's hard it's hard right your kids are at home and uh depending on your workplace situation either you're at home or you're not and all this kind of stuff and you cannot be a parent and not be desperate for the schools to reopen for every possible reason and yet you also don't want your kids to get sick and die. And uh, especially if you are uh, a little older, um, you don't want to have your kids come home and get you sick and die. And, and um, this, is a, this is a complicated question that there are not really good answers to. But the one thing you definitely don't want to see is the President of the United States Pretty transparently driven by his desire to get reelected saying, you just got to go to school, you know, sort of like an officer coming, coming by your house. Right. No excuse. You got to go to school. So we're gonna talk about all that, but before we do, let me quickly remind you that uh, we have our sponsor, Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. And Grady's Cold Brew is here to help you stay cool and caffeinated this summer with their signature New Orleans style iced coffee. If you're still holed up at home, and especially if you, you know, if you're holed up at home with your kids, right? Cause, cause, cause as a lot of us parents have been Uh, I guess, you know, depending on your personality, you either you might want a stimulant or not want a stimulant. (laughs) Uh, But if you are holed up at home, Grady's can bring the coffee shop to you. Their line of brew it yourself bean bags shipped directly to your door for less than a buck a cup and the system couldn't be easier to use. Just add water to the pre-measured filter bags for gallons of completely customizable cold brew. No special equipment required, and shipping is free on all Grady's beanbag products. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's promo code TPM. And of course, if, if uh, you can also order at amazon.com, and it's Available in lots and lots of uh, grocery stores around the country, uh, many of which are now opened up, um, at least on some basis. I guess everybody's got that experience now. I don't know, you know. I certainly do. You know, you mask up, go in, but you're kind of like, all right, I've got a mission. I got, the, I got, got to get the ketchup, <laughs> the, the hamburgers, and the exactly, beans, yes. and I'm out of here, man. I don't, wanna, you know, don't wanna spend any any um, extra time. And then, no, uh, that's so true. I, D- David, I saw because we got. Um, we got uh, Grady shipped to, to um, most of the staff in 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 New York and D.C. and I, David, I saw you had a you were kind of uh, DIY in it, not just with the with those with those bag like meta bags they give you to yeah. put it in, but doing it in a kind of big pot or something. That's but right. A, I, but I guess the job got done
1: a big batch brew situation that I'm still working my way through something like 64 ounces of gold brew concentrate total. So yeah, that'll last maybe a week or so, give or take take, of our consumption habits. So yeah, Josh, um, as you mentioned, you know, the issue of schools is, is really complicated. I saw just this morning, I think Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York city had announced a plan for the city's schools, uh, that there would be sort of a, a hybrid in-person and remote learning. I think it's maybe a couple of days of, of the week, you might be physically present in the classroom and then the rest would be like an online remote learning as you mentioned. And then it, it kind of looked like one of these classic Cuomo versus de Blasio uh, brouhaha's where Cuomo tweeted, you know, responding to Trump's threat about cutting funding for schools or trying to force schools to reopen saying, you know, it's the state's decision and we'll we'll make a decision kind of when we're ready. And it sounded like he had said maybe like the first week of August is when the state would decide, which seems pretty late as far as trying to plan for your life, for your family, for all that kind of stuff. I mean, um, that's a month from now and like just a couple of weeks really before schools start to kick into gear. So have you heard anything as a parent of school-aged kids in New York about what the deal is or what, uh, you know, what's going to happen?
0: It's, it's funny. There's actually, it is, it is even less certain when you're actually, when you have a school that you are connected to, and you get the communications from the school, uh, we have our the school, the public school that my my sons attend uh, attend, you know, quote unquote, uh, you know, uh, great principal, lots of emails, and the last one that we got is still basically we'd have no idea what's happening, and uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be some mix of something, and we will. You know, give you as much information as we have when we have it. So it's not uh, when you're actually a parent in the school system and getting the direct information. They don't know either, um, and they're being again. This isn't this isn't a complaint. It's 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 uh, they're being very transparent, but it's clear that that it's just they they don't know yet. And and um, my my understanding is is that they are going to give all families the opportunity to go completely remote. And it's clear that they're hoping a lot of families will go completely remote and that will help get the aggregate, you know, in-person student body lower. And then they're going to do this pod system where you kind of get, you know, one teacher is going to be with like eight or nine students and then and they're all together. So, you know, it's a kind of a, a semi-social distancing to kind of keep, you know, keep things limited and keep, you know, potential spread limited. And that if you do, you know, if you don't opt to be remote, then there's going to be some, you know, couple days in person and the rest not in person. But when you, I think my uh, my wife kind of ran the numbers, when you, when you put together everything they're saying and you run the numbers, if, you know, kind of a ratio of, of, one teacher to nine students and kind of like, OK, how many people are you going to get in the school on a given day? And it came out to like, OK, school is in person one day a week or something like that. Now, who knows if that's really the case. Uh, but as I'm sure is the case in many schools around the country, a, a, a normal class has like more than 30 kids. Right. So.
1: Right. And it, it seems like it always grows larger kind of over the years. Right. More kids.
0: Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's just that's that's yeah, that's that's how things have evolved in, in 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 recent decades, and and I don't um, uh, it's it's just and and if anything, you know, there's also these cuts. They're cutting budgets, so they're needing to. I know that even even if COVID were done right and everything was just normal. The, the one of the ways that they're dealing with cuts is basically bringing administrators back into the classroom. Right. Um, just to keep the ratios, uh, in balance. Uh, so. You, so you know, for
1: instance, if you have some teaching experience, but you've moved to more of an executive position or something, you could go back as a teacher or you could be kind of pulled in to teach kids or something. Yeah. Like that.
0: Or like, you know, I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of people who maybe they're, you know they're the special ed coordinator but now they're also going to be teaching you know that kind of thing yes push you know kind of uh dealing with budget cuts that way and um and, and and again i mean with with the budget cuts a lot of this i mean especially in new york it's not they're not cutting the budgets for the hell of it it's not like kind of like a some sort of like philosophical austerity i mean a, a city government cannot necessarily can't borrow money. It doesn't have treasury bonds or not the same way. It's much more complex. So I have no idea what they're going to do. I mean, you know, nine to one teacher to student radio, that's kind of like, you know, uh, Lux one percent ratios. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, mean, that's, that's, I don't know how you get that. Um, so I don't know, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a mystery and, and, and my wife and I are blessed because we have, I obviously, in, you know, TPM has been all remote work for, God, four months now. And we have no plan on changing that anytime in the near future. So, you know, I don't have to physically go somewhere I can be at home. Uh, my wife's job allows her to do something similar, but for, for as we were discussing before the episode started, before we started recording for parents who have in-person jobs are significant. I mean, y- you need some time to plan, let alone whether you can make it work. You need, you, you, you can't be like finding out the day before whether or not you're going to have to stay home. And so it's, it's, uh, it's a mess.
1: It does seem like, you know, in New York, especially when the city was starting to close down at the beginning of the pandemic, I remember de Blasio was talking about sort of three pillars or three prongs of the city functioning successfully. One is public transit, the other is schools, and I forget what the other one was. Hospitals. Um, Hospitals. Hospitals. Yeah, Yeah, healthcare system. Exactly. Um, And it does seem like, you know, without schools, without some solution to schooling, you know, life is going to be very difficult for many parents. And there will be no sort of true recovery from the pandemic until we kind of solve that issue. Because, I mean, like you've said, I mean, it sounds like you have a, a pretty ideal situation. And, you know, hopefully a lot of parents are in similar you know similar shoes but for others you know how do you juggle trying to go to a you know say you're an essential worker whose job cannot be done remotely and school's not going to reopen it just seems like an impossible position to be in and and um yeah i don't know how you solve that exactly and
0: can i can i just can i mention just one thing on that on on that point we got an email last night from a reader in Texas and this reader is a a school teacher actually um And it made me think about when you just said that, because this person, again, as she described, you know, relatively affluent people, both professionals, um, people mean different things by affluent, but, you know, uh, comfortable. Uh, And that person, uh, she said her husband has basically been like in the office for the whole pandemic. I guess he needs to work in, you know, in his office. And so, you know, she kind of has barely seen him in months. And then her nieces and nephews are, you know, they have kids. Their nieces and nephews have been living with them since the beginning of the pandemic because her sister or sister in law basically they're essential workers. So they have nothing to do with their kids. So, and this isn't the case. This isn't someone, you know, kind of like a family of an essential worker in the Bronx who kind of like, what can they possibly do? And, you know, there's heavy COVID density. These are pretty well-off people. No one's died. No one's gotten sick. But even so, you see the massive dislocations, right? The kind of like family members living with other people and all this kind of stuff. It's you. You see the just the um, just the level of of dislocation, social, economic, familial, even for people who are doing pretty well, pretty well financially, no one's died, no one's gotten sick. It's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's just tremendous.
1: Yeah. Well, Kate, to switch gears to higher education, you had written about some CDC guidelines for colleges, right? And I think among them was no kind of incoming COVID tests for students or faculty. Tell us kind of about that, some of those guidelines and how how epidemiologists and public health experts responded to that.
2: Right. So the guidelines are specifically for Incoming students, faculty, staff who are not exhibiting any symptoms themselves and don't have any known contact with an infected person. The CDC is advising against testing them. And um, yeah, I, we kind of saw a range of reactions from epidemiologists. Some were, you know, just fuming, um, and some kind of approached it more from a this is the reality way because you know, a lot of this is grounded in the fact that there aren't enough tests in this country, period. So, you know, what are the chances that every college and university is going to have the resources to test everybody, students, faculty, staff, as frequently as you have to, to keep uh, the pandemic under wraps. And, you know, it's kind of a the, the way one epidemiologist described it to me is, you know, having someone come in with no symptoms, testing them once, is just not that helpful because you can test negative for the disease even if you're days away from exhibiting symptoms. Um, and, you know, the downside of that is if someone does test negative, that might encourage them to act as if they're healthy, you know, a bit more recklessly. Um, maybe, you know, not as conscientious about mask wearing, maybe feeling more comfortable going inside, things like that. So it could actually have a negative effect. Um, But, you know, some of the epidemiologists still said, if that's the case, fine. But, you know, say that, say we should be testing everyone, we realize there might be a paucity of resources. Because, you know, this one argued Otherwise, schools are not going to waste their time trying to ramp up their testing resources over the summer, just aren't going to bother. Um, and then, you know, it's going to be even harder to mitigate the spread that happens in colleges and universities that are inviting students back in the fall, which, you know, kind of along the same lines as the, the lower schools type thing is definitely a very mixed bag, seems to be a pretty case-by-case basis. Um, my brother is going to be a senior at Georgetown, and they just got the news two days ago that only freshmen are being welcomed back to campus. So everyone mm. else is remote learning.
1: But, that's tough. Tough way to enter your last year of college. I know. I
2: just I feel. A so fun.
1: Bad. I mean, just a fun. I remember mine. You know, was not super recently. Not too long <laughs> ago either. I guess. But um, you know, that's a, just a. It's kind of a special time in a young person's life. You mm-hmm. know, and I can't imagine paying all the money for college and you're basically holed up in your parents' basement on your laptop, kind of riding out the last year of your education. Well,
2: that's the part of it, too, which is just kind of, you know, I mean, who, is anyone actually arguing that a fully online college education is the same as the in-person college experience? You know, I just can't imagine anyone would say that, but, you know, it is the same price tag. Right. And it's, it's just going to be, it's going to be nuts seeing how wide the spectrum is between what schools are doing. My little sister's starting at Fordham uh, in the fall and they're having everyone back on campus. So it's mm. just, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs>
0: it, it, it's hard because I mean, they, they, I'm trying to put myself in that position either as a, you know, as a, as a parent or as a student and they really particularly, I think you said your, your brother's a senior or rising senior yeah. mm-hmm. at Georgia. They really have kids like that over a barrel, And what are they going to do? Like put in three years and say like, nope, you know, I got to bargain a little more aggressively here. Not no can do. You know, of course he's going to pay. What is he not? I mean, of course. Yeah. Um, But also from the school's point of view, I, I, it, you know, as the, as people in higher education have said to me, like, you know, okay, whose job do you cut? Right. You can't sort of the money is, is it's sort of everyone is in a bind because uh yeah you probably i mean presumably you are saving money you know some money on running the physical plant but to really save money that means not you know furloughing laying you know laying people off i mean so it's it's not like i mean absolutely there's no way in terms of like you know the product you get there's no way it is remotely the same value, but when you try to kind of work everything together, it's it's like a musical chairs, right? Who's who's gonna not have a chair to sit down in?
2: Well, and it also feeds directly into kind of the umbrella problem of all of this, which is our complete lack of any kind of national testing strategy, you know, or apparatus, which we've written about at TPM a lot, but you know, it's just with every story we write you realize more and more how this is just a you know patchwork quilt and how there's no guarantees that people won't you know fall through the cracks and when you're talking about colleges specifically for private colleges exactly what you're saying Josh I mean they've sustained enormous losses um, so it seems pretty unrealistic to ask them to somehow come up with the money and the resources to equip themselves and then when you're talking public colleges which to some degree, Rely on state funding. Well, we've—I mean, we've seen so many examples of states being absolutely strapped for cash and not having the resources to test themselves, um, and the lack of appetite from the White House to, you know, remedy that situation at any time soon. So, I mean, it's—it's it's kind of one piece in a bigger national failing that comes right from the top.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of the top. Maybe we can uh shift gears a little bit to politics now and just a couple bits of news that came out this morning and overnight uh that our listeners would uh should know about. One is that um the Cook Political Report, the nonpartisan political kind of analysis website uh, Amy Walter, the nat- Amy Walters, the national editor of that site, just had a new post on the Electoral College this morning. Uh, and the first line of her piece is pretty striking. It's uh, she thinks the 2020 presidential election, or I guess not even just the presidential, but down the ballot as well, is looking more like a democratic tsunami than a mere blue wave. And that uh, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, two swing states that were part of the deciding kind of factor in Trump's. Trump's victory in 2016 have moved from toss ups to leaning Democrat. So, uh, you know that's sort of the ballgame, as they as they say. Uh, if that if that bears out, and also kind of related to just the the race and the campaigns in general, we've seen over the last 48 hours, uh, maybe longer, a number of Republican senators deciding not to attend the in person convention in Jacksonville. In, I guess it's late August coming up. We've seen Mitt Romney announce that, uh, Lamar Alexander, Chuck Grassley. Both of those senators are, I think, in their 80s, I want to say. Yeah, Grassley's, I looked up Alexander is
0: 80 and, and, and Grassley is like 86 or something. Yeah.
1: Uh, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski. I think it's those five total are not just deciding not to go in person. I think for Grassley, it's the first time in maybe 40 years he's missed the Republican convention. So I don't know. Just another, it's sort of that combined with the Cook Political Report news this morning, just more bad news for Trump. I mean, do you see, Josh or Kate, do you see the Jacksonville event even happening? I think Trump yesterday to Greta Van Susteren might have opened the door slightly to not exactly calling it off, but he said, oh, we're very flexible on Jacksonville or something like that, right? Like we have a lot of flexibility. I mean, this it seems like the dominoes are just continuing to fall and these five Republican senators cannot be the last to announce they're not going to go. I mean, how does, what does that all add up to in your minds?
0: The one thing, one thing I would say is with the, with the cook report, uh, news, Uh, You know, they are they are very small C conservative in the sense of when they say because you'd say sort of like, wow, if 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 Pennsylvania isn't at least leaning to the Democrats, Democrats are really in trouble. But when but they have a very broad way of defining toss up when they push it, when they when they put it into into lean Democrat, that doesn't mean it's out of contention for 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 Trump. But it means something kind of close to that. They mean that something dramatic has to change for him to have a chance in those states. And um, what was it? They they moved what Wisconsin Michigan? and Pennsylvania, right? And and so okay, I I, I say it's I guess Michigan was already there. Did they not move Michigan? I'm kind of curious. I'm sort of. It surprises me that Wisconsin moves if it if it did before Michigan because Michigan has a lot of you know kind of Wisconsin's always a harder. Uh, uh, you know, a harder push for Democrats, and especially in the last few years. So mm-hmm. that is really, you know, I, I've thought for a couple of years, as many people have, that you know, winner of Wisconsin is the next president. Um, so that that is very striking. And with the thing about Jacksonville, we should remember. Republican convention wasn't supposed to be in Jacksonville until like a month ago. It was supposed to be, right. it was in Charlotte, right? Charlotte, North
1: Carolina. Yeah, Charlotte. That's right.
0: And they got in a spat with the governor there because he wouldn't, basically he wouldn't agree to sort of like a, a zero, a zero COVID mitigation convention. So he had to, sort of like a spat and yeah, I, I doubt there's going to be anything. It's, it's like this, it, it's a, it reflects well on the Democrats on a number of different fronts because it's a case where pretty early on they just kind of like saw the writing on the wall and said okay we're not having a convention it took them a little while to kind of fully whatever but that was kind of clear and i i feel like it's just it's just slow motion for trump i mean clearly a lot of people a lot of politicians are not going to show up i mean why would you right i mean especially You know, I have some relatives in their 70s and 80s. I mean, those people are not leaving their fucking houses, man. I mean, not I mean, let alone. I mean, I'm sort of impressed that these that these, you know, pretty elderly senators. They're still senating up there, right? They're up up there on Capitol Hill. Um, If they were my relatives, I wouldn't advise that. I mean, those folks that age get covid. It's bad, really bad. Um, so yeah, I, I suspect it's not, it's not even going to happen, Espe- especially it almost seems now like a, you know, clearly he's sort of scarred by the Tulsa experience. He's doing these sort of, um, you know, kind of boomer, grateful dead, like events, like at Rushmore, right? Where it's just kind of like out in the field somewhere and, <laughs> and you know, there's it's an event, but there's what like a hundred seats, so you kind of, you know, you can't have a disaster like it, like at Tulsa. And then you've got this, as I'm sure some people have seen, you know, uh, Kim Guilfoyle, uh, the um, uh, the girlfriend of the of the first son. You know, she she has COVID now, and seems like I, I'm not, I'm kind of unclear. I guess the idea is she had it before the rushmore thing and maybe got it in tulsa i mean who knows where and when but you got herman Keynes in a hospital in georgia um and that's serious he's he's in his mid-70s and he's a cancer survivor um and you got pictures of him at the tulsa event with no mask time lines up uh yeah yeah, i i'm pretty sure that in practice there's not going to be a convention
2: Well, and this is, you know, part and parcel with Trump's strategy, which we've now been talking about for weeks, you know, which originated with the you need to be a warrior, you know, it's on you to restart the economy thing, which has bled into everything. And it's been one of his most failed efforts this campaign season, because as we saw in Tulsa, there is a limit for these Trump supporters, you know, and not all of them, you know, there were some people at Tulsa, there are going to be some people at all these things, but there are A lot of Trump supporters who are not willing to put their own health on the line to fill out his rallies or to bolster his numbers or to give him a chance to make an overflow speech. And, you know, we're seeing that now from lawmakers as well. You know, Chuck Grassley, I think, wasn't he the one who said, like, I want to give someone else the chance? to go and enjoy it. I think profession.
1: it was, it was Lamar Alexander who's, who didn't okay. mention the virus, but he said, yeah, he wanted to pass on that, that <laughs> beautiful, beautiful delegate experience to uh, someone who's, yeah, who hasn't had that the pleasure as much as him. viral experience.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and it you know, for someone who's kind of both hung his hat on and bolstered his own you know sense of self-worth by these gigantic rallies he is still at a point where it looks it seems like he's having trouble getting through his head that it is the worst way to own the libs because people aren't gonna come you're gonna have empty seats and people who do go are gonna get sick so you know i just think i have been very curious at how we were gonna have an rnc for ages and i think it I think Josh is right. It's going to end up like fizzling out and Trump's going to make some stupid excuse. Like protesters barricaded the doors. All my fans couldn't get in or something, but there's no way. The thing
0: is with, with as as we know, conventions have become basically a TV show in the last half century or so. And I have been to a few of them. Haven't been to one since I think since 2004, but I, I I've, I've been to a few and most of what happens at a convention, most of the things you're taking pictures, you know, doing video of interviews, it's people milling around in crowd situations. So it's a little hard to like, okay, maybe there will be a venue in Jacksonville, and maybe there will be a dais or a you know, a lectern, and someone's up there giving a speech. Um, but it's it's, what what you actually do is all non social distancing. It is a, not a social distancing thing. It's it's like being at a, you know, a rock concert if you're social distancing and everybody's wearing masks or something like that it just doesn't work. Um so yeah, and you know, the other thing I think we, we were going to talk about this, Kate, is there's something parallel happening with absentee voting or mail voting where the president has gotten so focused on letting people mail you know vote by mail is going to lose him in the election because people will be able to vote that he's 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 kind of kick-started this anti-male vote, um, you know, not <laughs> not gender male, but, you know, uh, uh, vote by mail movement among conservatives. You've got people, like, burning their absentee ballots without kind of realizing, like, oh, well, liberals might still vote by mail. And your people are kind of like, I absolutely refuse to vote by mail. So it's, a, it's, it's like a massive cell phone, and people apparently... Republican operatives are starting to take this seriously because people it's becoming this sort of uh, aspect of conservative slash Republican political identity. Like I will never vote by mail. You know, like great, great idea, Trump.
2: I mean, and it's also all of this is just kind of a continuation of this theme that we've been observing on the podcast since like our earliest days of doing this remote, which is that he didn't want to see numbers go up. So testing became persona non grata with him. He made masks into a political statement. It's like Trump is the, you know, the King Midas of politicizing everything he touches, but everything that he's choosing to politicize right now seems just objectively bad for him. You know, it seems likely to get people who support him sick or red states, you know, having massive spikes in COVID. And, you know, they're not the only ones, but it just seems that, you know, for all the Trump plays 4D chess or whatever, you know, that it's just like everything he's doing right now seems to directly harm him, whether that's dampening the vote of his own contingent or trying to get his most ardent supporters into a room together, you know, I just... I mean, and I don't. I'm so sick of seeing these takes that are like, no, you know what? Trump doesn't really want to win re-election. He's trying to throw this. You know, it's like, <laughs> can we please move on from that theory? That he could just be dumb. That could just be what's happening. You know.
1: What's the uh, the Trump razor? You've mentioned Josh that like kind of the dumbest explanation is yeah, always the stupidest the, possible
0: explanation the is the, the most, most likely. The most <laughs> likely. Yeah, <laughs> so the most likely to I be think true. That,
1: I think that fits with what you're saying, Kate. I mean, it really, the mask thing is the most tragic out of all of those to me. Just the fact that we've turned a simple kind of preventative health tool into such a political issue is just such a, I mean, such a bummer for lack of a better word, because it's just the easiest thing you can do to protect yourself and others. And, you know, we've, I don't know, it's just like, this shouldn't even be, shouldn't even be. debate and yet here we are like people freaking out in trader joe's in los angeles california even to like when they're asked to wear a mask or leave and so just kind of ricochets around in a dumb way
2: yeah and then you kind of just have like all this is happening and then at the same time we're seeing trump and co really really struggling to find a way to attack biden not least because i think republicans by this point i mean their brand is identity politics grievances and they're running against a white man like that is not a very fertile ground. So then you kind of have him lashing out like what can he politicize. He's like he's politicized COVID a lot but you know it seems like he doesn't really want to deal with that anymore. And now he's trying to you know make Confederate statues his big whip everyone up into a frenzy this is how I'm going to drive up my turnout in the fall. And I mean, when we look at things like the the Cook states shifting and the polls, I mean, you're not really surprised because what I mean, he hasn't defined Biden. He hasn't defined why he should get a second term, you know, like the kind of stuff he's trying to do now is almost make himself seem like he's not the incumbent, seems to be a strategy. So it's just... I don't know. It it really does seem like this kind of perfect storm of things he's either ruining for himself or adverse conditions that someone like him is just not equipped to deal with.
0: You know, Eric Erickson, who's this very right wing pundit radio host guy who I sort of have a. I'm not sure I'd say a, f- a frenemy relationship with, but, you know, we, we kind of. Uh, You're both ex- ex- media
1: moguls, right, <laughs> to an <extent>. yeah, Exactly.
0: <laughs> you know, exchange notes, kind of ping each other on Twitter sometimes. And he had this tweet yesterday where he, say, where he said, you know, I'm watching the Trump, the Trump commercials in Georgia. And again, bad sign to start with. They're having to compete right. hard in Georgia, which is now it's which is seems to be effectively a swing state now. Which
2: The Cook Report also just shifted to toss up. In oh, that real? Same OK, well, there you go. Bundle.
0: Exactly. So it's so it's now a, a battleground. And he was saying that, you know, he the, the commercial is saying all the bad things are going to happen under Biden and they're all video of things are happening under <laughs> Trump. So he's like, you know, have they thought this through? Because it really is kind of saying like, it, you, you know, all these terrible things that I am overseeing. Don't elect Biden because those will happen. I mean, it is not a great, you know, it it is not a great uh, message to put it, you know, to put it mildly. Um, it, it, I, I, the the other thing I was thinking is that, and someone mentioned this to me. It really seems like, just in the last couple days, someone mentioned to Trump, the school thing is coming in two months. If they don't reopen you know, the, it'll, it'll, the economy's not going to restart all these, like he's, someone basically said to him, you know, this is coming. If they don't reopen, it's going to be a disaster for you. And suddenly he's out there. This is his new thing. They absolutely have to open, you know, kind of, again, warriors, kiddie warriors, you know, kind of force all the kids into a COVID cage. Right. (laughs) I mean that you can, it's, it's so, not only is it transparent, but it is, You know, if you are a parent, certainly lots of people, but certainly if you're a parent, you've been thinking about this for months because your whole life is sort of uh, contingent on it or what what will be happening for you, whether, you know, your 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 work, um, all sorts of things. And it's clear that this was not really on Trump's radar until maybe 48 hours ago. And and so it, it shows you to Kate's point that highly, highly reactive, flailing posture that he's in. And this, to me, personally, and also as an observer, is what has driven me so crazy about this school issue, that it's being discussed as sort of like an ideological issue. You know, do you know they need to reopen, or how long do you want them to be closed, Um, And again, and every parent listening to this knows this, every parent is dying for the schools to reopen. It's not about whether you want them to reopen or not. But the thing is that we're having we're having this like, again, fairly ideological debate, or kind of over clever debate about, well, if you have the kids put their arms out, that's kind of social distancing, airplane arms. And you're like, dude, dude, dude. First of all, kids are not going to social distance. That's just, you have to understand kids. I know, I don't think Trump's ever like raised a kid in any direct sense. But that is not, that A, that's not realistic. But the key thing is, to open schools, the first thing you have to do is get the prevalence of the disease very low. And in a lot of the country, over the last month or so, that ship has sailed. And the, the absurdity of this debate is there are some trade-offs. School is absolutely important, A, for our children, B, for their long-term emotional and academic development, and also just to have the economy functioning. But if, if schools are really that important to you, you know, the tanning salons may not be a thing, or maybe the bars aren't going to reopen. So th- this just, again... Highly ideological, highly chest pumping you know puffing kind of kind of debate, where the absolute first thing, the first, second and third thing with having your schools open is you have to have the virus out of control, and we have completely failed to do that, and we 're still talking about schools while the while the numbers are exploding, so it's just um it's ang- I mean, A, it's anger-inducing, but at a basic level, it's just absurd. Again, you know, the, the, if, if, if schools are really that important, you should frankly probably lock the whole country down right now because that is how you could possibly get the prevalence of the disease down low enough by September that you'd have a fighting chance. But clearly, we're not talking about that. Right. We're, we're you know, not even close.
2: Well, schools are also like such just, you know, a nexus of so many threads of our social fabric as well that further make Trump, you know, ill-equipped to deal with this. Because, you know, part of this equation that I haven't seen discussed that much is that if schools don't reopen, generally it's going to be the women who pick up that burden. We're going to see women quitting their jobs and staying home with the kids. That's going to set Women in the workplace back years, you know, and then you also have a part of the equation, which is Someone has to come to school with the kids and those people are teachers and there's no assurance that those people are young or not um you know, not vulnerable the way that we, you know, have hopefully seen children be a little less vulnerable to this disease. Um, not to mention, we already ask our teachers to go to school and get paid absolutely nothing and pay for their classroom supplies out of their own pockets and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So now we're also asking them to put their lives on the line, you know, for in a strategy that, like you say, Josh, has only seemed to even breach Trump's mind in the past 48 hours. Like, he has just proven himself to be so incompetent with every facet of this disease. And now we're talking about, you know, kids, schools, and I would be shocked if anyone trusts him to make any kind of thoughtful, you know, far reaching, looking ahead kind of decision on this.
0: I I would say that if, if anything, I mean, I, I have thought and, you know, studied this pretty extensively. So it's not really shifting my opinions. But I would think for a lot of people, he has so little credibility on this issue. He has overseen and to a significant extent been responsible for such a catastrophe, such a public catastrophe, that having him out there saying, it's got to happen. And if you don't, I'm cutting your budgets. Having him be the they have to open person, I assume will... will as much as parents desperately want the schools to reopen is going to drive a lot of parents say, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, if, if the fact that you are so adamant about it sounds dangerous and you know, it's, it's remember, remember uh, everybody in the church pews on, on Easter, like, you know, one week into the outbreak, basically (laughs) it's the same kind of thing. He has no credibility. um, And, uh, I, I really think that will take a significant number of people who maybe didn't know what the right decision was and make them highly resistant and, and for good reason.
2: Well, I think that's so true. And also part of Trump's, you know, habitual inability to not take credit for things, whether he deserves them or not. I mean, that that kind of reminds me of. When the CDC sent out those mailers at the very beginning of the pandemic, telling people to like wash their hands and stay six feet apart, and you know, Trump insisted on having his name stamped all over it, be you know, President President Trump's guidance, um, you know, and whereas you might have any other president be like, maybe this is something that should not be political, that I should work hard to not alienate people who don't like me, he. You know, same thing with those stimulus checks. He needs to take credit. So he he needs to take credit and he needs to take a side. And there's no way that he would not, you know, own one viewpoint of this, um, even if that would end up, you know, making people safer and more circumspect and understanding, you know, the nuances of the situation because he doesn't. So,
0: well, it's also, you know, if you if you see that and you see like, wow, President Trump's plan is wash your hands. You'd be sort of like, dude. Maybe I shouldn't wash my hands. Mm-hmm. Maybe just go dirty for a while, right? I mean, <laughs> sort of. If he's so stupid and and so and done so poorly, if it's if that's really his plan, maybe I need a second opinion, right? right. So yeah, it's really it, what you say is absolutely the case, and um, it, it's it is. I was there was a. Uh, it, I guess it's technically not an article. I'm one. I, I'm on one of the Washington Post's many morning newsletters, and they have. Uh, I can't remember what it's what this particular one call is called. But this morning, it was basically uh, about how a lot of people in public health, public policy, you know, people either directly epidemiologists or people who are kind of involved in this kind of stuff, and a lot of them just and probably have been in this mental posture for a while, just shocked and baffled. Like, how did this go this badly? Like, this badly? When, like, you know, most other wealthy, strong infrastructure countries have this basically under control. That is really true. We are, like, the only country that is you know not the case it you know it's not comparable to to a lot of countries in africa or large parts of india where they just don't have the kind of state capacity and public health infrastructure you know they're in a different they're in a different situation than a lot of countries in 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 east asia and europe and so so on and so forth um and how it could have gone this badly and i must say that uh I have that too, at a few different levels. I mean, just just again, it's the level of of just baffled how 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 did it go this badly? But the other thing is, and this is something that is m- more concrete, and I've really wondered about, like, like, okay, CDC is run by a Trump appointee right now. They can't kind of run their own policy in defiance of the president. But even taking all that into account, like, they're doing really, really badly. And like, was it not as good as I thought it was? Right? I mean, did it really get this mangled in three years? That it's this bad? Um, And I don't know what to think there. It's this this very... um, It's this very shocking baffling kind of thing that really has made me wonder about the basic state capacity of our whole national system uh and again president is in charge of the executive branch that explains a lot of it but again it it it, it isn't quite a total explanation um and that's that's very troubling.
1: Yeah. Well, in the last few minutes we have of the show, Kate, I wondered if you could tell us about some recent reporting you've done, uh, especially around this a local story in Bloomington, Indiana. I want to say this was over the Fourth of July weekend. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yep. There was a, a pretty shocking, disturbing video that came out of what purports to show, you know, an alleged attempted lynching. There was this disturbance. You can tell us more about it. But mm-hmm. between there was a a black guy, a bunch of kind of uh, Big burly white guys, uh, seeming to kind of rough them up, and someone at some point says, "Like get, you know, go grab a noose." Um, and tell us, kind of from there, is sort of what what happened and where the where this story stands.
2: Right. So, so, I mean, still undergirding everything we've been talking about is, you know, the kind of nationwide response to the George Floyd killing, uh, police brutality, racial inequalities in general, um, and so. Over the 4th of July weekend, you had this man, Vox Booker, who he and his friends were going to try to watch the lunar eclipse um, by this wooded area near Lake Monroe, which is about 12 miles outside the city of Bloomington, which is, you know, a a blue pocket in a very red state. It's a a university town. Um, So they were headed out. They ran into this, you know, big guy with a Confederate flag printed hat uh, who kind of Warn them that this was private property, you know, they can't go this way. Uh, They actually even had permission from, you know, the the private property that was right bordering the state property, which was the lake. Uh, They told them that, but they, you know, kind of avoided confrontation, went another way around. They told the rest of their group who was coming to come up through the beach, which was definitely private property or public property to kind of avoid more confrontation. But and and to be clear,
0: to the extent there was any private property, it wasn't the Confederate hat guy's property.
2: Right. That's true.
0: Right. Okay. I just wanted to clarify. uh, No, that's definitely true.
2: And um, yeah, I mean, overarching all of this is that the mayor's office said that it's completely unclear if this happened on private or public property. It was, you know, it's on the border kind of thing. So anyway, this is happening. The other part of the group tries to loop around, come through the public beach to avoid this guy who um, Booker said seemed drunk, you know, um, but they were kind of they were met by the Confederate flag bands. Cronies who were all, you know, using their boats and ATVs to block off this group's access to get to the lake. And when the group tried to cross, um, Booker said that one of the ATV riding ones, um, you know, yelled white power uh, at them. So, you know, all this is happening. Tensions are growing. Booker's half of the group says, let's just talk to them. You know, they were very... Trying to avoid conflict, going out of their way to accommodate this group, um, you know, even willing to move away from the spot they were going to go to just to kind of, you know, let him have his private property, which wasn't even his to begin with. But uh, as they went to talk to him, things escalated. You know, from his telling, it just seems that this group was, you know, wanted a fight and this was kind of just their. Their thin excuse. So they're eventually their Booker's group is trying to leave through the beach. This group says no, you have to go this way along a wooded trail. And that's the point that Booker says he was attacked, that they jumped on him from behind. Um he says that five of them, you know, were beating him, slamming him into a tree, pulling out his hair. Uh he said that one of them yelled to for someone to get a noose. At one point, they said they were going to break his arms and were trying to pull them behind his back. He said one of the men, and these are gigantic, you know, overweight men that you can see in this video. Uh, He said that one of them jumped on his neck. So you have this horrific thing happening. And then one of the men's daughters starts screaming at her dad to let him go. And that kind of attracts nearby people. Um, And, you know, the group, what I find kind of, I mean, this whole episode is so horrific, but one of the worst parts is that even when this small group of bystanders amass, the, the group that's beating up Booker is, you know, unbowed. They don't let him go or anything. They try to tell the witnesses to disperse. Booker says they said, you know, leave the boy, told the, the white people to leave. Um, And this is around the point that the video footage from the bystanders started to be recorded. So there's one video where you can still see them all clumped around the tree. Booker's kind of slumped over on the ground. Um, And they're having, you watch them, they're having internal debate whether or not to let him go. And the one man's daughter, you know, is saying, you know, I don't care, let him go. You know, trying to kind of mitigate the situation. The guys are starting to look at each other like, yeah, you know, what do you think? Should we let him go? Should we not? Um, some of the bystanders are, you know, yelling to let him go. Um, some people in the group turn to them, say like, "No, you go. You know, you get out of here," kind of thing. And then the rest of the video footage covers after Booker's been released. Um, and then some some of his assailants kind of follow the witnesses, are trying to fight with them. too. Um, you know, one in particular keeps calling them. You know, you liberal fucks, you invaded us, kind of thing. And you know, uh, there's one of the witnesses is a black man who he's he's like very fixated on and keeps calling him, you know, things like a nappy-headed bitch and things like that. So anyway, this whole horrific event happened. You know, all that last bit is captured in video video footage, and then everything preceding that Booker has like written out, you know, very in great detail on his Facebook page.
0: But so the point is, even, so there's some parts of it, there's some parts of his account that we only have his account for. Right. But a lot of the atmospherics and things Mm -hmm. immediately before and immediately after are like, there's video. Right. So this is heavily, uh, substantiated by, by video from, yeah.
2: Right. So the active, you know, the beating parts, the go get the news, that's not on video, but the video kind of catches up when they're still holding him and figure, deciding what to do. Um, so you right. have this... There's
0: not like a terrible... Probably a, not going to be a very good explanation how things well, got to there. Right. Exactly, <laughs> right. right.
2: So then you have Booker called 911 and that call got rerouted to the essentially like the park police, the law enforcement branch of Indiana's um, natural resources department. They came... And Booker said they went to go talk to the assailants before they went and checked if he was okay. They said um, he said that they called the county prosecutor while they were there, and he said that the county prosecutor told the officers not to make any arrests on the scene to just you know file a report. So that's kind of that's the end of Booker's telling of the story. And since then, you know, I've been in contact with the, the officers at the natural uh, Resource Department who are not really saying a lot except that you know investigation is ongoing the idea being that when they finish their investigation they submit a report to the county prosecutor who decides whether or not to press charges um, which fine you know but this this event a good portion of which was caught on video happened on Sunday you know it's now Wednesday and we're seeing no charges, you know, the, the county prosecutor isn't even really talking to news outlets, you know, you don't even really have like a milk toast kind of, the reports are very disturbing, but we're investigating, whatever.
0: G- give us a sense of the, a little more on the jurisdictional breakdown here, because Bloomington, Indiana is a college town, as you right. said, a blue, you know, kind of a blue town in a Red Sea. Mm-hmm. Um, and presumably the politics of that, you know, kind of jurisdictional unit. I don't know exactly, you know, is, is, is Bloomington an incorporated city or town or whatever, but this issue of the, some version of kind of park police being the ones on the scene, Mm -hmm. as opposed to like, who the, who's the prosecutor is the prosecutor, the person elected in Bloomington or what's the, you know, what give us the breakdown there.
2: So that's kind of the tricky thing is since it's just outside the city, it falls to the jurisdiction of the Monroe County prosecutor. Um, who's this woman, Erica Oliphant. But that's, you know, that's where things got a little bit dicey. Like, the mayor from Bloomington has been really kind of uh, putting himself into this situation. Uh, He's a Democrat, obviously, so he has been very, you know, pushing for social justice. But you're, you know, just from my reporting, we're just seeing this real clamming up between the police and the prosecutor. And not that that on its face is, like, that uncommon, that those people don't... that They don't want to talk to reporters before they've, you know, come to a conclusion or finished their investigation. But what makes that silence seem a little more suspicious to me is then we found out last night, FBI confirmed to us that they are opening a hate crimes investigation into the assault. Um, so now you kind of... You know, it, it just it deepens the layers that are going on here that you seem to have this sluggish response from the county prosecutor. Um, and then it, now you suddenly have federal intervention as the story has kind of blown up and gotten on the national radar. And, you know, the videos have been shared so many times. So, I, you know, it's, oh, and then I almost forgot after all of this on um, Monday, protesters took to the streets outside the, Mount, the Monroe County Courthouse uh, to, you know, protest his attack, the behavior by the officers at the scene, you know, kind of lack of taking responsibility by the, the authorities. Um, so you have this demonstration, which ends with a car plowing into the crowd as they're dispersing, as they're leaving for the night, catching two people on the hood, which ends up sending a woman to the hospital. So tensions are just extremely high there and I think you also see from the fact that you know we're we're just outside the liberal bubble of bloomington. I mean you you're seeing what a true red sea Indiana really is, you know, because in some other states that are less red, you know, you've got your blue nucleus of the city and then you've got a blue ring of suburbs and another blue ring of suburbs and then gradually maybe you know getting purple and getting red as you get away from the city. But in Indiana, it's like these cities are really, you know, bastions. Most of it is quite, quite red. Um, And so, you know, you're kind of seeing that at conflict underlying this entire case.
0: What, What I'm a little unclear about is there's obviously what constitutes a hate crime can involve a lot of investigating and getting a sense of what happened, what the motivations were, what people said. But set aside whether it's a hate crime, if you've right. got one dude, like, on the ground being attacked by a bunch of people, that's that's sort of open and shut assault, you know. I mean, even even in a lot of jurisdictions, just when people are fighting, like, it's an assault, right? You can kind of figure out later kind of exactly apportioning out the blame, but you're not allowed to be fighting even. Even if it's—and clearly this was not really fighting. This was like, right. what, ten, 10 on 1 or something like that. Um, so it is it, it, your your point is very well taken that prosecutors and cops even when everything's legit don't like to be providing kind of commentary in real time about you know their decision making um but it does seem a little weird that that frankly that someone wasn't arrested on the scene or that i don't know it, it's
2: well that is exactly the angle that i'm coming from which is you know, hate crimes charges could also be added down the line. You know, they could arrest these guys for assault now based on the video footage, the like 10 to 15 eyewitnesses and, you know, the wounds on this guy who said he had a, a concussion, chunks of his hair were pulled out, you know, it just.
0: And so there are, there are, setting aside videotape, there are mm-hmm. eyewitnesses of like the assault proper. Right. Right. Okay so it's because so it's the, not just him saying it there are other people who saw this other people besides the assailants who saw this happening
2: Right because he also keep in mind when he was first jumped by them he was still with some of his friends that were going to see the you know the eclipse so he was never by himself and he said that the you know extra witnesses kind of were called to the scene when uh, the one daughter started yelling at her father which he said precedes the go get a noose, break his arms stuff. So you should have witnesses for, I mean, it seems to me enough to be a hate crime, but at the very least, I mean, we see videos where they're all holding him down on the ground. I mean, that seems like assault in and of itself. That video is available to the public. So. And that's
0: literally assault. I mean, right. it's actually, it's it's depending on the circumstances, it's even, uh, there are a lot of charges like false imprisonment, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just you can't hit someone, you can't Restrain someone. You can't, you know, prevent someone from, from going. So there's a lot of potential. I mean, often as, as I think we know, particularly when an African American victim is involved, these things often get shunted into. Oh well, what did he do? You know, did he, did he, did he, did he do something that mm-hmm. made you have to hold him down? You know, that's, that that kind of you know, and not just with, not just when it's police doing something, but but with civilians. So it, but I, I, I'm. But they don't even seem to be going there. It. it yeah, it's, just, it's, Yeah. It's weird. I mean, it's more than weird. It's 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 extremely disturbing. And thank God this guy seems to have been, you know, maybe he had a concussion, but mm-hmm. it, he seems to have gotten out of it relatively un 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 unscathed. H- have any of the assailants been? interviewed in the press? Like, is it, have they spoken or has it been any follow on with them or what well, they're, what they're their definitely justification not is? talking
2: to reporters, but they've been pretty widely identified on social media. And there's been a lot of, um, you know, this guy is so-and-so he works here. Here's the business number. Um, yeah, I, I tried to look into the guys and by the time, um, you know, I kind of caught wind of the story, which at that time was only really known in you know the local press and the local stories. Um, they'd all deleted all their social media footprints. Um, so yeah, it's just, I think right now when we as a country are still so primed by the George Floyd case and the, you know, just the knowledge that in this country you are a man, a black man can be killed on tape and it still doesn't guarantee, you know, any ramifications for the people who did it. This is just hitting such a nerve, you know, because, and it's just on its face so emotional and horrific and anyone with a Facebook account can watch these people mull it over between each other if they should keep hurting or kill this man or just, you know, let him go free, so...
0: It's also, I mean, obviously, uh, obviously there's a, there is a whole very dark history with African Americans, particularly African Americans and the, and the police. And that is something that we who are not black know about, but we can't know it in the sense that, that, that the, that black men can, but there is a whole other history of you know, black people in kind of wooded areas, you know, sort of crossing paths with the wrong people. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of, you know, you're alone and, and very, very bad things can happen. And, and it sounds like something, uh, I'm, I'm always, I mean, this stuff is so horrific. It even it, it 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 feels like kind of normalizing it even to talk you know, to talk about it and think through the nuts and bolts of how how things happened. I'm struck in this case that I mean, I'm not surprised that these things happen. I confess I get a little surprised when they're talking it over and like there's people holding up their iPhones. Mm-hmm. I mean, really like you, maybe, you know, that was time to kind of cut your losses. I mean, I mean, again, it's, it's maybe clearly I'm naive because, because nothing's happened yet. And, and right. maybe like the feds have to get involved for, for, for it to be taken seriously. But it, it you know, thank God, it seems like, I mean, I, I don't know all the, p haven't seen all the videos you're describing but it sounded like there was a a lot of people around through a lot of this, Mm -hmm. his friends, other people, even the, the, the one of the assailant's daughters. I mean, that's a kind of a a whole other level of darkness, you know, this, this, this little girl kind of thinking about, okay, dad, maybe not don't kill him. Like, let's, let's cut our losses. And, you know, we can go to the clan meeting next week and sort of feel better about it. But, (laughs) you know, it's just, it's, it's so fucking bizarre. And, uh,
2: Ah. well I mean one just one more thing I want to say is that the video is like horrific on so many levels not least of which is that the you know the assailants are all wearing bathing suits and like some of them are holding beers and it just that cognitive dissonance the idea that these people were kind of like hanging out at the beach for the 4th of July and then got it in their heads to go after this black man who dared to like be in their territory. But another piece of it that I think is pretty telling is even when the witnesses are kind of, you know, Booker's been let go, the assailants are kind of coming at the witnesses a little bit, not in a real way, but in the kind of posturing, like, oh, you want to go kind of thing. Even then, you know, some of the witnesses are like, all right, you know, both sides got to calm down, you know, whatever. And that was just so shocking to me because I was like, you guys just watched them decide whether or not to lynch a black man. And then it's like, okay, you know, both sides got to, you know, we got to keep our heads here. We got to be calm. Is it just, you know, I mean, it just, I guess it throws an historic relief where I live and where they live, but just the whole episode is just horrific.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess when you're there and, and there are no, well, (laughs) there are no cops who are there to do an actual job of police officers and, and, and mm-hmm. do something when you're out there with the people who just did it, you are probably kind of
2: deescalating. A bit. Yeah. You're just trying <laughs> yeah. to
0: deescalate it and deal mm-hmm. with, deal with, uh, you know, deal with social justice later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is kind of right. weird when, if someone's going like, Hey, all right, all right, we ever, you know, things get a little out of hand sometimes you yeah. think about lynching something but let's you know someone but let's uh you know let's let's i mean yeah it's that's weird to, mm-hmm. to treat it like as you know you're at a kind of a you know dudes at a metallica concert and things got a little out of hand and people were rough you know it's it's it's, yeah. Bizarre. it's
1: bizarre yeah well okay definitely keep us posted next week maybe we can come back to the story and see um see what's developed since yeah, then hopefully. But, we've uh,
2: got some charges by then we'll see yeah.
0: well i'm very I, curious if if the generally speaking once the fbi gets involved i don't think they kind of just you know if there are local charges the the fbi doesn't usually say okay well you got it mm-hmm. like what it it sounds like they there could be potentially two you know multiple layers of charges or maybe the 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 feds will will superintend Mm -hmm. over it or or something like that yeah anyway
1: yeah i think that's all that all the time we have today
0: well remember uh grady's cold brew i always i always feel bad for grady's because things are so dark in this in this in this era that we're always doing these kind of like done talking about the potential <laughs> lynching let's tell you about grady's cold brew ice coffee it's sort of uh you know we we feel like we owe our sponsor a slightly a slightly um less horrific transitions but uh thank you for grady's for supporting us even though we talk about uh, things that are constantly horrible in any case uh, remember Grady's Cold Brew Coffee it really is great stuff uh, the sponsor of our podcast you can get 20% off your first order uh, first time if you're ordering from ordering online and that is Grady's Cold with the promo code TPM you can also uh, purchase it at Amazon local groceries all that good stuff
1: alright all nice right. to talk to you thanks Later, see you next time bye bye